بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد نسلی اللہ رسول الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ جنائی از دا ٹوینٹیتھ آف جون ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی تھری الحمد للہ وی موو ان ٹو دا ففٹی of the eminent companion Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud So to mention another virtue of the blessed first 10 days of Zul Hijjah in a hadith in Tabalani one of the companions mentioned that he noticed that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he needed to make any of his obligatory fasts up he would make them up in the first 10 days of Zul Hijjah So what does it mean make up the obligatory fast? So for the men, if you're traveling, you've got a concession not to fast. However, the fast needs to be made up. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the battle of Badr, they didn't fast because of the encounter. And also just before the conquest of Makkah, he told the Sahaba to break their fast. He could have made those obligatory fasts up at any time. But which days did he specify? The greatest days on earth. So this is also worth pointing out to the female folk. So if the females, due to their biological cycles, need to make up certain obligatory fasts, they'll get a reward for this. So in the first blessed 10 days of Zul Hijjah. So we're going steadily through the section with regards to some of the priceless words of wisdom of the great Ibn Mas'ud. So the next section entitled, His care in selecting an appropriate time to share his vast knowledge with the masses. Despite his oceanic knowledge, Sayyidina Ibn Mas'ud would be concerned not to make people bored by talking too often to them. He would give a talk to the general masses just once a week on a Thursday. In Sayyid Muslim, one of the listeners begged him, By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I wish you could preach to us every day. <coughs> to which Abdullah ibn Mas'ud replied, Allah, The only thing which prevents me from doing this is that I hate to bore you. Undoubtedly, I take care of you in preaching by selecting a suitable time. As Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to do with us. For fear of making is bored. <coughs> so let's look at this. So this is in Sayyid Muslim. So it's important to highlight that Ibn Mas'ud had different levels of students. He had his, you know, senior students. Then he had his intermediate students. And then he had, of course, general masses. The general masses, he would preach to them once a week. And some of them obviously wanted him to spend more time. And he said, I'm following the example of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Abdullah ibn Abbas, he exhorted the da'is, preach to people once a week. And if you want, then preach to them twice. <coughs> if you want to preach more, then let it be three times a week only. And do not make people bored with this Quran. <coughs> if you come to a people <coughs> who are engaged in a talk, Don't start interrupting their talk by preaching, lest you should cause them to be bored. 
You should rather keep quiet. And if they ask you, then preach to them at the time when they are eager to hear what you say. And avoid the use of rhyme prose in invocation. For I noticed that Rasulullah and his companions always avoided this. This is in Sayyid Bukhari, number 6337, in the chapter on invocations. So what's interesting, Abdullah ibn Masood, once a week, Abdullah ibn Abbas, he extended it. Because if you need to do it, don't do it more than three times a week. So the scholars point out, because he's Ahl al-Bayt, the Ahl al-Bayt were always giving ease for the Ummah. So notice again, he said three times a week, but don't do any more than this. And then he said, don't interrupt people when they are talking about their dunya. Don't interrupt them. He goes, but if they're eager, don't let, let that opportunity pass. And then he goes, avoid using rhyme in dua. Because I noticed the Prophet didn't rhyme his dua. And this is a common ailment now. People make duas, they rhyme it. Right? You know, and, then you, and then you get some people start moving their shoulders. One minute, what's happening? Yeah, everything's going down. Make it a dua because there's a rhythm to it. So a person starts moving. Right? So there's no rhyme. The Prophet didn't rhyme his du'as, nor did the companions. And similarly, our mother, Sayyida Aisha, she advised Obed ibn Umar, give discourse to people one day and leave them alone one day. Do not tire them. This is in Ahmad in his Musnad 6-217. So our mother extended it slightly. One day on, one day off. So that means one and a half. So three days a week, according to Ibn Abbas, three and a half, according to our mother, Sayyida Aisha. In a lengthy report, there's a clarification. In Imam Ahmad in his Musnad 6-217, Al-Haytami in Majma Az-Zawail 1-191 stated Sayyid. Abu Ya'la in his Musnad 7-449 relates similar. Sha'abi Rahmatullah, he said, Sayyida Aisha once said to Abu As-Sa'ib, the narrator of Al-Madina, there are three things you must agree with me on or I will dispute and fight you about them. He said, what are they? Indeed, I have already agreed with you, O mother of the believers. <laughs> so in the report. So look at the other. Our mother Aisha has said to a famous narrator in the holy city, he goes, you must agree with three things with me. If you don't, I'm going to fight you. So what would be a normal response to that? What are those three things? But he had so much love for our mother, he goes, I've already agreed. But I'd like to know what those three things are. <coughs> she said, Do not use rhyme language whilst making dua. As Rasulullah and the companions never did this. Secondly, narrate to people once a week. If you refuse twice, if you refuse three times, do not make people bored of this book. And lastly, I never wish to see you come to the people whilst they are talking and you break their conversation. Leave them. And if they invite you or order you, then only then narrate to them. So what do you notice? All of the family members of the Prophet the senior companions are saying the same thing. Because there's a time and a place i.e. to, to share the sacred knowledge. So now, how do the scholars interpret these reports? The blessed scholars, Rahimahumullah, have stated that maybe there was just one main sermon for the general masses every week. 
and three for those who were stronger and more eager, and so on and so forth. So, like I said, there's levels of students. Those who only have a very shallow connection once a week. Those who spend more time, one day on, one day off. And of course, the permanent students, daily, they were learning. To clarify the matter further, with regards to not forcing the deen down a person's throat, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said, These hearts have periods of desire and yearning, and similarly they have periods of indifference and reservedness, i.e. they are less responsive. Thus, take advantage of them when they yearn and desire, and leave them alone when they are reserved and indifferent. This is recorded by Hafiz Bahubi in his Sharh Sunnah 4-59, Abu Nu'aym al-Hilya, Ayat al-Sahab of Abim 3, page 572. So now, that's interesting. You notice sometimes you have a yearning to learn. So Ibn Masood said, don't let that pass. Some people notice they want to learn, but for some reason they don't. <coughs> he goes, don't do that. That's a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But then he said, but there's other times that you don't. Your heart isn't focused. He goes, then he says, don't force this. He goes, there's a time and a place. Thus, when the heart is eager, one should rush to feel it spiritually. <coughs> but what's interesting, the scholars do point out that the weaker you are, then that yearning is less. The stronger you are, then that yearning is stronger. So if you look at some of the uh, tabi'i, they were insatiable. So what's, their heart was always yearning for knowledge because they were so strong. But you'll notice other people on off, on off. And then you get those very weak ones. But they even have their moments. You'll notice there's a moment they'll have. So you tell them when you have that, he goes, don't waste it. If you have an opportunity, use that. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud who would also warn those who invite others not to make the listeners despair. In Ibn Abi Hatim, it mentions, once Abdullah ibn Mas'ud he passed by a preacher. He was warning the people. He thereupon said to him, O oh, you who admonishes others, why do you make the people despondent of the mercy of Allah? Subhanahu wa ta'ala. He then recited the following verse. Surah Az-Zumar, Surah 39, verse 53. قُلْ يَا عِبَادِي الَّذِينَ أَسْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ لَا تَقْنَتُوا مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ جَمِيعًا إِنَّهُ هُوَ الْغَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ Say, O oh my servants who have transgressed against their own souls, despair not of the mercy of Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives all sins. For he is of forgiving the most merciful. <laughs> so let's look at this. What error was that preacher in? <laughs> he was making people despair of the mercy of Allah. That's an error. <laughs> so Ibn Masood, he was listening to him. Why? Because when you're inviting, you are now on, on the public platform. <laughs> when he realized that he's going overboard, he goes, why are you making people despair of Allah's mercy? Then he recited probably the most famous verse. And what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instruct his beloved? Tell them, tell my servants who have transgressed their own souls, do not despair of the mercy of Allah. 
Allah Ta'ala forgives all sins. Jami'a. For he is of forgiving the most merciful. So look how comforting that verse is. Allah Ta'ala doesn't say, I forgive some sins. He says, I forgive all sins. All encompassed. Abdullah ibn Masood said about this verse, it is the verse of the Quran that brings the most relief. Subhanallah. This is in Tabarani and Ibn Kathir's tafsir. So who did I say who had the greatest knowledge of the Quran? <laughs> Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. So if anybody can tell you anything about the Quran after the Holy Prophet it's Ibn Mas'ud. What did he say? This verse brings the most relief. Because this is so comforting, this verse. Why? Because when you hear the verse, what goes through your heart? I've got hope. Allah Ta'ala's first says, O oh, my servants, Ibadi. Now think about that. You're committing sins. He still calls you his servant. He could have said, Kul ya mujrimi. O oh, criminals. Did he say that? O oh, those who have swerved. What does he say? Subhanahu wa ta'ala. O oh, my servants. Straight away he's showing love to you. Despite the fact you're sinning. He goes, who've transgressed against their own souls. So Allah Ta'ala is reminding you of something. Your sins aren't harming me. You're harming yourself. Like a child, when she gets, you, know, you don't give a child a box of matches. If he strikes, he's going to harm himself. Well, I children him with box, you know, my box of matches. And Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says, Allah Ta'ala forgives all sins. He is the of forgiving the most merciful. Ibn Masood said, the most relief we get from this verse. This is the most relieving verse. Of the Quran. In fact, there's another report. Sayyidina Thawban radiallahu he said, I heard Rasulullah saying, I would not give this verse for the whole world. The verse I've just recited. Surah 39, verse 53. A man then said, Will it benefit even the polytheists? Ya Rasulullah. The Prophet remained silent for some time. He then said three times, Behold, yes, even the polytheists. Behold, yes, even the polytheists. Behold, yes, even the polytheists. Subhanallah. This is recorded in Ahmad in his Musnad 5-275. Behaki in his Shu'ab al-Iman. Ibn Abi Hatim ibn Mardawih. Ad-Dud al-Mantur 5-621. Mishkar number 2360. So let's look at this. Rasulullah himself, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He says, I wouldn't give this world, this verse for the whole world. This verse is so precious to me. So a sahaba asked a very, very intelligent question. Because the verse seems to indicate it's only for the Muslims. So he goes, what about the kuffar, Those who worship idols, Ya Rasulullah. The mushriks. Will this verse benefit them? Now look how interesting. Rasulullah remained silent. Why? Because he was waiting for revelation. Now if you didn't have revelation, you could have argued. Well, how is it going to benefit them? You die in kufr, you, you've blown it, you've gone. Rasulullah, he thereupon said three times, so you don't mistake this. Yes, even the polytheists, this verse will benefit them. Yes, even the polytheists. How? What are you asking me for? Rasulullah said, so if it benefits the mushriks, how can it not give comfort to us who've got iman? And yet another report, Asma bin Yazid relates that our beloved messenger recited the same verse and added, and he does not care. He, subhanahu wa ta'ala, does not care. He added that. 
This is in Tirmidhi, number 3248, Hasan Gharib, Ahmad in his Musnad, number 27,604, Shalhu Sunnah, Mishkar, number 2348. So that's Adda. So what does the verse say? Say, O my beloved, O my servants, who have transgressed against their own souls, despair not of the mercy of Allah. Allah Ta'ala forgives all sins, He is of forgiving the most merciful. The Prophet added, and he doesn't care. Now, why is that so powerful? Because what are you thinking? You're thinking, depending upon the sin. That's what naturally goes through your mind. Okay, I'm going to meet my Lord with this sin. Maybe Allah won't show mercy because of the gravity of the sin. The Prophet said, he doesn't care. Why is that such an important thing to highlight? Because the Christian belief is opposite to this. What do I mean by that? They say, God can't forgive. He needs to shed the blood of somebody who's worthy to be sacrificed, sinless, so his justice can manifest. Is that what we believe? Our response is, he doesn't care, he just forgives. What's this book was? <laughs> right? What's this condition that you put on? You know, God, then you think, well, what does God need to do? Because he needs to sacrifice his own son. So John's committed murder. So God kills his own son. So even from that, well, let's leave that, forget that, you know, that's just, you know, maybe that's too deep on our part. Why does he need to kill anybody? Forget about his own son. Can't he just forgive for the sake of forgiving? And because where does it say that? And you respond, you quote the verse. Surah 39, verse 53. And he goes, well, then the prophet added, and he doesn't care. He'll forgive for the sake of forgiving. Thus our majestic and unparalleled Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives for his own sake. He does not need a sacrifice of any sort, much to the Christian's dismay. Thus admonition is like a whip, too much of which will kill, whilst encouragement is like a carrot. It will ultimately take you across the long traverse. One of the Salaf said that if you just keep focusing on punishment, you are whipping a person to death. He can't take more, just give him enough. You give him too much, you'll kill him. Because he needs a carrot. So fear and hope, fear and hope, both fear and hope is needed. You can't tell one way the one way or the other. And who beautifully highlighted this? The great Ibn Masood. Is why you're making people despair of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So all I mentioned today was Sayyidina Ibn Mas'ud whose care in selecting an appropriate time to share his vast knowledge. And then I mentioned, of course, that he warned the Da'is not to go overboard, to have a fair balance. And then I mentioned, of course, the verse that brings the most relief according to the great Ibn Mas'ud. The... Amazing verse, Surah 39, verse 53. We discussed this at some point. Are there any questions you'd like to ask? Subhanallah bihamdi, subhanallah allahumma bihamdi ka ashtu allah ilahi illa anta astaghfirika atu balik abdi billahi minu shayda anjim subhanallah rabbika nabbi izzati amma isihun wa salamun alal mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim wa al-asr insan lafi khusr al-ladhina amunu wa amilu s-salihan wa rawasul al-haq wa rawasul al-sabr sadaqallahu alayhi wa sallam